thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC back in Vegas this weekend for UFC Vegas 15, Lewis versus Blades. It's an exciting heavyweight bout, and we'll be breaking down that, as well as two other fights on the main card. As part of Fight Stocks and Parlays, where we will also give you an underdog in a parlay that we will think will cash big ways this week. And let me tell you something. We're back-to-back weeks with big plus money parlays, so make sure to tune in and catch that. Now, also on today's show, we're going to be interviewing two of the fighters on the show. First, we'll be talking to Devin Clark, who's fighting Anthony Smith in a very exciting clash at light heavyweight. And then we'll be talking to Parker Porter, who makes his sophomore effort against Josh Parisian up at heavyweight. And before we get to all that great content, I got to remind you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by ProPay Sports Metrics. ProPay Sports Metrics from the creator of Grapple App, the jiu-jitsu game, which you should also get wherever you download apps. ProPay Sports Metrics is a new Android app designed to measure and drive the performance of your athletic ability, specifically geared towards combat sports. Their striking clinic feature uses your phone's microphone to detect kicks and punches, which drives your work weight up. And it has five different levels as well as all kinds of graphs and charts after you're done that gives you the metrics to drive up your striking ability. That's ProPay Sports Metrics in the Android store. ProPay Sports Metrics brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready. For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Devin Clark, who fights Anthony Smith at UFC Vegas 15, Blades versus Lewis. So, Devin, I want to talk to you about this fight that gets booked with Anthony Smith because you're briefly linked to a bout against Shamil Gazmatov for, for this November. He, he's removed from that bout. He's removed from those rumors due to visa issues or whatever else is going on. And you go from getting this guy who's unranked and virtually unknown to Anthony Smith, a guy who fought for the title a year and a half ago. What what was that like for you, that roller coaster? Uh, it was pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, real exciting, great, great moment, great opportunity. But at the same time, it's something I've earned, something I've been asking for, uh, especially something I earned in that last fight. I had a battle in my last fight against Alonzo Mettingfield, and I proved something to myself in that fight that's going to take me a long ways. And um, so it just, it, it was exciting and a little bit of a surprise, but it, uh, you know, it felt right, though. I'm interested too. You you just said it proves something to yourself that's going to take you a long way. Do you do you feel like divulging what exactly that that proved to you? Um, well, a minute thirty into that fight, uh, Alonzo fractured my orbital in my face, so it broke my face, and uh, I was able to you know, just grit it up and and keep fighting. And in that moment, I was able to really open up and experience a fight for what it really is. And it was a real beautiful moment for me. And, and since then, I've, um, I just kind of look at the sport differently, look at training differently, look at getting hit differently. 
Um, I, that, uh, pain and, and, you know, sometimes torture it feels like, but I, I kind of crave that now. Uh, it's exciting for me to be in a battle like that. It's exciting for me to get hit and hit somebody as hard as I can. Um, it's, it's, it's a new, new leaf for me. That That's awesome. Now I, I'm curious too, because it is a, a new mindset for you and it's a new place. You've obviously gotten much better in the cage as well over the last few fights. Do you feel like this is, is a game changer for a lot of those fights earlier in your career where you may have had an, a tough time? You feel like this is is a difference maker. You can go back and beat some of those guys who gave you a tougher time. Absolutely. I feel like I could have beat everybody that beat me. Uh, I made a few simple mistakes, and those mistakes kind of came from being hesitant, hesitant and not being comfortable on the feet. Um, or just kind of feeling out of element a little bit. Um, so, so now with, uh, all that behind me, I'm ready to fight some of those guys again, including Jan, Jan Blahovitz and, uh, Alexander Rakic, which they're, they're going to be ahead of me now that directly in my path after I beat Anthony Smith. For sure, and, and I was going to mention the name Jan Blakovich because we got to talk about that fight. Because in that fight, you you had a really good first round against Jan. You you looked like you were doing well. It I, I was wondering what it was like to see him win the title, knowing that you had stood in there and, and really given him a hell of a fight. Uh, it was cool. I really I really wanted him to win, win the title, especially since he wasn't fighting for it against my teammate. <laughs> um, so... Him winning that and seeing somebody that's beat you do really well, it kind of, you know, it, it made me feel better. And uh, to, to who's really beaten me, you know, that's um, one champion that's beat me, which still isn't all right in my book, but it still says something, right? Um, but, and it's still, that makes me want to rematch him even more. And I've always wanted that match again, that rematch since I, since I lost to him. As soon as I lost him, I'm like, what the heck did I just do? I just gave up pretty much. Cause I got frustrated. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it was, I was excited for him. Awesome. And, and you mentioned in there too, it's obviously easier to root for somebody like Jan Blankovic when he's not fighting for your, your teammate, John Jones's belt. D- does that give you a new outlook on the division too? Obviously John not being at the top of it, not being like, you know, the, the place where you're essentially looking to be yourself. Is it a little bit easier thinking about the division that way? Yeah, definitely. Because me and John were friends and, um, you know, we we don't really want to fight each other and don't want it to come to that. And it'd be really, really cool if we could defend the heavyweight and light heavyweight belts at the same time um, as Jackson Wink MMA. Yeah, that, that absolutely would be cool. Now, I'm curious, too, because, you know, we mentioned you're fighting Anthony Smith. He's a guy who's uh, just a year and a half ago fought John Jones, your teammate, your good friend. Do you feel like that gives you an, an extra insight here, or do you feel like your style with John is is different enough that you sort of have to apply your your own sort of uh, skill set to it? A little bit of both. Uh, definitely, really good insight, and that's helping with the game planning and stuff like that. Just you know, just small things, uh, typical behavior behaviors, and and kind of stuff that it, it sticks out on tape, anyways. Um, but yeah, at the same time me my, john and mine stop my style are completely different so it's gonna be a completely different fight uh going in there against anthony and anthony's gonna have to adjust way differently um than he attempted to against john 
Absolutely. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit because last fight you took place for you all the way back in June against Alonzo Menafield, empty arena. And your dad, I feel like, kind of stole the show. Your dad sort of became a star in that moment. There were articles all over online about him cheering you Mm -hmm. on and whatnot. I got to ask, is it – I know he's a motivating factor for you. Is it extra motivation? Is it extra good in an empty arena knowing that you can hear every single thing coming out of his mouth? Well, if if you heard it, he's (laughs) – the the sound level is – uh, exactly the same for him. Uh, he's just as loud. He's louder. You can hear him even more in a in a crowded arena because he's yelling louder. Uh, but he's always been like that at all of my events, growing up wrestling, baseball, football. He's across the football field. You can still hear him. He just has one of those voices that carries, and he can't help it. He's just a loud guy in that way, and he always always has been, and always will be, no matter empty arena or not. Well, I, I love it. Now, I, I'm going to ask you, too, because you just added baseball in there, too. I could definitely hear that in football. I could definitely hear that in wrestling. Was, was he as intense in baseball, or is that a little bit more controlled? Because that is a slower sport. Uh, I'm I'm sure he was just as loud. <laughs> Maybe not as, as much because it's slower, but when he would hear, just as loud, for sure. I think the cheering might have been a little different because there's – I mean, there's not really violence in baseball, right? But everything else that I did seemed to be violence in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was—is that what brought you to MMA too? Sort of that you had that background in like violent sports. Was it, it just a natural transition to yeah. you after college? Yeah, after wrestling, uh, I needed something to do. Uh, I needed a sport, and I was just like, it was just kind of there. My dad had a um, one of his friends that he worked with. His name is Sonny. He had a small gym in the back of a a fitness uh fitness gym uh just a small room we trained in and we'd pretty much go in there and spar every day and that's how i started my mma journey and uh ended up being decent at it and won all my amateur fights and all my early pro fights and all my fights up until i uh got in the ufc so it's just kind of something that fell into i suppose i I really i didn't know that at all you were training in the back of a fitness gym in just like a spare room did you have a lot of training partners or was it just you and, and like the, the trainer or what, what was the situation? Um, uh, we had probably like 12 guys or so, uh, most of them smaller than me, but we were all amateur guys and just, you know, we, we'd spar a little bit and, you know, we, we try to do some stuff and, um, my coach, he, he teaches some striking Muay Thai type stuff and, one of the guys knew a little bit of jujitsu and we just kind of go back and forth like that. And, but most of the time it was just sparring in there and having fun. And, and we'd go fight on the amateur circuit in, in South, South Dakota. I love so. that. Now, out of curiosity, did any of those guys wind up having professional careers? Is there any name in there we would know? Um, I don't think so. Um, but there were some that had some potential, uh, but it's just, it's one of those sports where it's like, you know, at one point, at some point it's like, do I want to make money or do I, do I want to keep fighting? And I think some guys just chose to have a career and actually make money. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, just a small team started at in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 
I love that. Now, I, I'm curious, too, because, you know, obviously you're the one who decided you didn't want to make money. You wanted to keep getting, you know, your orbital broken, broken and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> it, was it hard for you, especially coming out of South Dakota, being a guy, you know, an area that's you know pretty spaced out? There's not a huge population. Was it harder to get fights around there or, or did, was there a big enough scene that you had not much of a hard time? Yeah, it was kind of hard, especially after my, I think, like, fifth amateur fight. I was just wrestling everybody to death and beating them up, kicking down, ground and pound them, uh, head kick KO'd a guy. And after that, I couldn't get a fight for over a year, I think. And then I had my daughter, so I took some time off, and I wasn't really serious about it. And then I found out that, and at the time, in in the biggest city in, in South Dakota, Sioux Falls, where I live, MMA was illegal. So it wasn't, you know, it, it, like you couldn't have events there. But then we worked on getting it legalized and RFA were, they were going to come to town and have an event there. So I started training again. I was going to have my like first official pro fight with the RFA in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And that's, and that's how that uh, started my real pro career there. Interesting, interesting. Now, I'm going to pull it back to to your actual fight before I let you go here because that, that's really what everybody came to the table for. So you're fighting Anthony Smith here. I know you don't want to give away strategy. I know you don't want to tell me too much about what you're going to do in there. But but give us an insight. How do you see this one ending? Uh, it's a pretty simple strategy. I'm going to, I'm going to go at him. Uh, I'm going to finish him in the end of the first round. That's, uh, that's my game plan. That's what I'm going to stick to. Uh, I'm going to be a lot for him to handle. There's cardio, striking, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, wherever. You know, I'm going to beat him at all all aspects and really just wear him out and finish him in the first round. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that more confident version of Devin Clark in there this weekend. Once again, folks, this is Devin Clark who finds Anthony Smith at UFC Vegas 15, Blades versus Lewis. Devin, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And that interview with Devin Clark is brought to you by Respect the Tap. You can check them out at respectthetap.com. They are a company who is passionate about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and combat sports, and their apparel reflects that passion. But they're not just passionate about the sport, but also about design and style as well. They're a fashion-forward MMA and BJJ brand that bucks the trend of all those other terrible apparel companies that use skulls and dragons and snakes and all kinds of crazy things like that. And instead, it embodies the honor, inner strength, and respect that is inherent in martial arts. I am currently, as I'm recording this right now, rocking one of their signature series snapbacks. It's sharp. It's not too busy. It's got a little pop of color on it because it's got pink on the brim. But let me tell you something. they got tons of options. So if you don't want pink on your brim, they've got all kinds of things. And you can check out all of those snapbacks as well as all of their apparel at respectthetap.com. All right, and joining me today is Parker Porter, who fights Josh Parisian at UFC Vegas 15, Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. So, Parker, I want to start by talking about your UFC debut. I obviously know it's not the result you wanted in that fight, but it took you 13 years, almost 14 years as a pro to get to this level, to finally reach the UFC. What was that feeling like finally getting to make the walk? Uh, it was incredible. It was uh you know, obviously, like, like you said, it, it, it was the, the realization and the culmination of, of of chasing after something for 13 years, and finally getting a, getting a stranglehold on it, and and getting getting my foot in the door was kind of like 
was what that fight was all about. And now that my foot's in the door, I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to plant my feet and stay. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. I, I do got to ask you some questions about this career because I, I followed it for a while. I'm a Northeastern guy myself, you know, so I, I know the stories. I know that you fought Gonzaga, you fought John Jones. Well, how do you look back at, at that path sort of to the UFC filled with, you know, layoffs and injuries and, and fights against guys who you wind up seeing fight for the title afterwards? When you look back at it all, what what are your thoughts? Um. That I I definitely belong here, and I I, I should have gotten here sooner. And uh, some of the choices that I made um, in my life were, you know, things that probably should have gone a, a different direction with. Um, but you know, and then other other choices where my hand was uh, kind of forced, like situations where I had to make sure I could take care of my family, and like um, for for layoffs and stuff like that. But I've because of those fights and seeing those guys go there and being in the ring with those guys. Um, and, and them getting to these levels, I've always, I've always known that this is just like, this is the level that I belong at. And I'm not just, just, uh, grasping at straws by continuing to chase this. For sure. And, and I know that, you know, looking back at your record, you could see some of the layoffs in there. One of them nearly three years. You said there were some things, obviously personal things, taking care of your family, all that kind of stuff. Was there ever a point where you thought that maybe it was over? Maybe you weren't going to continue doing that? There absolutely was, and then you know it also got to the point where, after the the layoff being being as long as it was, where I just I didn't feel like myself, you know, like, and and it just I felt like I had lost myself, and I started training again, and, and like that fire came back, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's that's what's been missing. Like, I need this. I just I'm not done with this yet. I have I have so much more to do with it still. And, and you know. We mentioned it's it's been 13 years in the sport, nearly 14 years in the sport. You you took your pro debut at 22. What brought you to this love for fighting in that fire that you're talking about right now? What what got you you know into a cage in the first place? That, that first fight actually is what really kind of ignited that fire. Up until that point, I uh, I just I just I got into into training because I was uh, I was a, a high school football player that after high school I didn't I didn't have anything to really pursue anymore. Um, I lost a bunch of weight and got myself in really good shape, and then I started training to kind of mix up my workouts and and just kind of you know be like oh you know like I'm actually in good shape and I can move around. I'm not just a big defensive lineman anymore who just knows how to charge straight forward i can move around i could do all this stuff let's let's kind of play around with it and then my my coach um at the time talked me into to taking my first fight and that feeling i got from that fight i was like this is this is what i'm supposed to be doing like this is i'm, I'm doing this this is for me so so it's always been that feeling that you you know that mma is is it for you it, it's that feeling once you've gotten to that cage you knew it was it now, you said, you know, seeing those guys get to the UFC lets you know that you belonged in the UFC all along and, and that you were going to get there at some point in time. Was was there a moment that it clicked to you that you felt like, I'm UFC caliber, I can do this on a high level? Was there a moment where that, that sort of came into your head? Uh, it wasn't until probably about five years ago when uh, when everything started to kind of like come back in. And like I started training again after my my most recent layoff and, and getting things going again, um, and and really being like, wow, like no, I I really, I really can hang, uh, you know, at the at the top with with some of the best guys out there. 
And was that was when you returned to Bellator, you picked up a quick submission win? Was was that was it the win itself, or was it like the training up to to that fight? I think it was more the training, and then the continuation of the training, and the um, the training partners that I surrounded myself with after that. And, and you mentioned before that that some of the the things you thought that held you back from reaching that level all along, what was some of the choices you made either in training or in your life? Was that some of it? Do you feel like you could have been surrounding yourself with a, with a higher level of competition or a, a higher level of training partners all along? Yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, I definitely kind of like, like slowed down my own progressions for, for, you know, because I, you know, I, I got married. I wanted to pursue other things. I wasn't taking things as serious. Uh, training the, the caliber of some of my training partners wasn't as great as I wanted it to be. So it wasn't as really motivating because I would go in to, to, to train and just, you know, not really be, feel like I was being challenged as much as I could be getting challenged. So it didn't feel like I was making progress. So I felt like I could kind of just screw off on my training and not really put the effort in that I needed to. And then once I started getting, better quality training partners around me and, and, and really re, re refinding that fire and that motivation to do better and better and take it to the level that I can like to actually turn it up and, and see where I can fully go at the fullest potential, you know, that I, I started to realize that's, that's where I belong. That's the level I can get to. That's awesome. Now I, I want to talk a little bit about this fight too, because obviously we're talking about your level. We're talking about the fact that you belong here you get a chance to prove that this upcoming weekend against Josh Parisian. So let me ask you this. Josh Parisian coming off the contender series victory. Did you watch his fight? Did you know of his name when they offered him to you in the first place? I actually knew of Josh um, back when, uh, before he got picked up for the ultimate fighter um, season that he was on, because we both were out here in Vegas for that season's tryouts and we both made it to the final selection process and he was one of the guys to get picked up over me um so we we knew who each other were we were hanging out here you know checking out the strip before the pandemic and and uh you know like we knew who each other were and stuff and uh you know so i i've always kind of like followed along and like watched his, his uh career since then and um and I, I, I just I had this weird feeling after my, my debut against Dawkins that once I saw Josh win that, that contract on the contender series, I'm like, I just know they're gonna give me that fight and then about a week and a half later they're like, Hey, you wanna you want the Parisian fight? I was like, Yeah, let's let's do it. It's you know, let's let's make this happen. Is it weird and bittersweet going into a fight knowing a guy kind of, you know, not not super well, but knowing a guy pretty well and having followed this career and, and now here you are, a guy, a guy who seemingly you like as a person, uh, and, and you're trying to dash his dreams of having a UFC debut win. Yeah, I, that's unfortunately that's the the downside of this business that we're in. You know, like that's the part that nobody really wants to talk about is there's there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. You know, I don't have anything personal against Josh. This is just us going in there to 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 throw it all on the line on game day. It's not much different in my mindset from uh, you know. Uh, two football teams, you know, uh, going head to head on the field, or basketball teams, or any other sport competing against each other. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I hope you know we all come out home, uh, come out safe, and go home to our family safe and sound. But 
we both have a job to do and that's you know to make sure we bring the the best the best us we can bring to the table and, and make sure that we're trying to get, come out with our hands raised that night absolutely and it's come to that part of the interview where i gotta ask you you obviously see yourself going in there picking up the win over parisian how do you see yourself getting it done uh this upcoming weekend when you fight josh parisian at ufc vegas 15 however i have to <laughs> whatever, <laughs> I love whatever way i have to i love the answer once again, fans, this is Thank Parker you. Porter, who fights Josh Parisian at UFC Vegas 15, Blades versus Lewis. Parker, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the, the, uh, the interview, man. Thank you. Well, you hope you enjoyed that interview with Parker Porter, as well as the one before with Devin Clark. I, again, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, and I am now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I got to ask you, is there anything more badass than defending your title and immediately accepting the next defense for three weeks later. Very few things in life are more badass, Gumby. This is a very badass move by a very badass dude. And I want to take this to a couple of different places. One, I'm a huge fan of Figueredo. If anyone listens to the show, they know that. After Mighty Mouse left, and then, you know, we actually kind of thought, all right, well, Cejudo will hold it down after Mighty Mouse left. And then, you know, Cejudo dropped out, although I could see him coming back for a fat envelope sometime next year, especially against Figueredo. If he strings together a couple more title defenses, that would be a massive fight uh, for that division. But that all being said, when Mighty Mouse was on his way out, I don't think, I mean, the division was almost killed and no one foresaw this coming. But Figueredo has been as good a champion, not as prolific, not as historical yet, but in terms of exciting fights and I, I happen to like his personality, too. I mean, you know, we talk about this a lot. I wish English was more of a first language, or he just spoke it better, I should say. But he's a really entertaining guy. His fights are exciting. So I feel really good about the flyweight division in his hands. And then to answer your question again about the badassness of it, I feel like 2020, while it could have been a very messy year for the UFC, because it was for other sports, they've really just done amazing work uh booking guys that we want to see fight you know so many people have fought like four even five times this year it's crazy and as a massive mma fan you'll love to see it i don't know if that's just because they're hosting uh fights in the same buildings week after week people could just stay in vegas and stay in shape or if people just feel like with the pandemic going on they're just trying to get as many fights in as possible and it's just led to this amazing run where we're getting to see our favorite fighters over and over again it's a beautiful thing right yeah and and to your point too about getting to see guys fight a lot I, i think it's done a ton in terms of building some some names that maybe weren't big names before right like going into this year yeah like maybe you had heard the name davison figueredo he had just you know guillotine choked tim elliott but, like, his run this year, dude, he's going to have fought four times in 2020. When was the last time you could say that about a champion? A guy fought in four title fights in one year. It's incredible. In those four title fights, two of them come against Joseph Benavidez. One was an absolute shellacking of Alex Perez. And, and then, you know, on top of that, he's going to get to fight Brandon Moreno. And I love him in that fight. You know, like I, I like Brandon Moreno a lot. But, you know, like, I'm not picking against Figueredo right now. The dude might walk out of 2020 with four finishes in title fights, and that's ridiculous. 
I'll tell you what else is ridiculous. It's our favorite segment on the show. Fights, dogs, parlays, and we got a great card to break down this week. I'm very excited about this main event. But before we can get to that, one 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 person might have to ask, many people might have to ask, excuse me, does anyone sponsor this segment of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Vegas 15 is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it doesn't matter because you can log your training sessions with Maroon Social to make sure that you are making adequate progress at meeting your goals. And they want to give you, that's right, you, the listener of Top Turtle MMA, free access to the premium version of their app, Peak. So you can do that by entering in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA right in and get that for free for a whole year. Once again, that's Maroon Social, wherever it is you download your apps. All right, we will start with the main event, as we have been known to do, and uh, this particular main event is very exciting to me. Curtis Blades, friend of the show, uh, we are both a big fan of his ring work, is a minus 300 favorite to Derek Lewis, the plus 270 dog. Uh, Let's talk about Derek Lewis for a second. Uh, You know what, actually, no. I want to start on Curtis Blades. He's on a four-fight win streak. Since losing to Francis Ngannou, which he's done twice in his career, uh, beat Justin Willis, beat Shamil Abdurakahimov, TKO Junior Dos Santos, and uh, unanimous decision victory over Alexander Volkov. Some people thought that fight was a little boring. He played it safe, did what he had to do. And of course, before the Naganu loss, he absolutely treated Alistair Overeem's, like, Alistair Overeem's head like a pinata uh, and TKO'd him on the ground from guard with elbows. Nasty fight, uh, nasty finish, I should say beat Mark Hunt, Alexia Olenek before that. So basically, Curtis Blades is like the 1A to Francis Naganu in a lot of ways in this heavyweight division. Uh, and, you know, a, a win here would certainly propel him back into title contention. Derek Lewis, Lewis himself is on a three-fight win streak. TK over Alexia Olenek, a unanimous decision win over Alir Latifi, who came up in weight class to fight. Uh, and then a split decision win over Blagov, Ivanov, uh, lost to Junior Dos Santos and Daniel Cormier before that. So he's three and two in his last five. Uh, who are you picking? Uh, I'm going to go with Curtis Blades here, and I actually think there's a lot of value even at the number negative 300. If you look at the things that, that Curtis Blades is good at, it's just it, it's really hard to see Derek Lewis overcome those things, right? Like Derek Lewis does a great job of surviving to the late rounds and sort of having a little bit more left in the tank than the guy he's fighting by throwing a big bomb late. But the thing about Curtis Blades is he never relents on his game plan, right? Like he's always hitting you with those takedowns. And even if Derek Lewis were to miraculously survive that ground and pound to a fifth round, I still think he's only on the feet for three seconds of the fifth round before he's taken down again, because That's the thing about Curtis Blades is he just knows his game plan. He fouls it to a T and it works well for him. And and for people who think he's boring, I get that like some people don't like that style, but I have to say his ground and pound, even when he's in guard is more exciting than a lot of dudes out there. Like what he did to Alistair Overeem, you mentioned busted his head open like a pinata. He looks so good dropping ground and pound. So I actually love watching Curtis Blades fight. I think this is an easy win for him. And I'm actually probably, if I'm gambling on this one, I'm probably looking for a finish prop here because I actually think he's probably going to get Derek Lewis out of there. 
So I would, of course, refer people back to the Daniel Cormier fight uh, with Derek Lewis and how I think this is going to go. Blades is one of those guys who, once he gets you down, it's going to be a really rough day trying to get back up. And I feel like whenever I'm betting against Derek Lewis, which I've done a number of times, and he's upset, surprised me, it's because people just can't hold him down or they're not violent enough when they hold him down. Derek Lewis is one of the few people I've ever seen, you know, sometimes in jujitsu or grappling MMA, when a person's on top of you or on top of someone, you'll kind of kid around and you'll say, just get up because that's the hardest thing to do in grappling. When another human being is on top of you, whether they be raining down punches or if it's just straight grappling and you kid around, you know, you're at the gym, you say, ah, just get up. You're fine. You're in side control. You're in mount. Just get up. Derek Lewis is one of the few people who, when he decides he just wants to get up, he just gets up. I've never seen anything like it. And it's against some pretty good grapplers, but Curtis Blades, Daniel Cormier, they're a cut above the rest. And what I think happens here is once Blades gets him down, even if he gets up one time, he's not going to get up a second time. Blades is a artist when it comes to ground and pound. So I've never felt better about picking against Eric Lewis than when I picked Daniel Cormier. We'll move on. Light heavyweight fight. Anthony Smith is a minus 125 favorite. Devin Clark is a plus 115 dog. So listen, those are really tight odds. Uh, Both fighters certainly have paths to victory. Uh, Anthony Smith, of course, is a former title challenger. He's coming off a loss to Alexander Rakic. Uh, lost to Glover Teixeira before that, beat Alexander Gustafsson before that, and of course lost to John Jones in that title fight. So he is one and three in his last four. And trying to write a ship here, which, you know, this could get out of control really quickly if he loses three in a row. On the other hand, Devin Clark is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, beat Daquan Townsend, beat Alonzo Menafield, and now a huge step up in competition in Anthony Smith. Who you got? I'm actually going with Devin Clark in this one, and it's wild to think that I'm going to pick against uh, Anthony Smith the way that we thought about him, at, you know, before and even after that John Jones fight. Everybody real high on him, but I just think that Devin Clark, while he isn't Glover Teixeira, has the right skill set to mimic what Glover Teixeira did, right? Like Glover Teixeira took him down almost at will and beat the hell out of him. He's now going against a collegiate wrestler in, in Devin Clark, a guy who trains with John Jones, a guy who's seen the John Jones game plan. And, and don't get me wrong, they're completely different fighters stylistically, but like he's got that wrestling base and he's got a, you know a guy on the inside who's already fought Anthony Smith. I just think that this is a nightmare matchup for him. And it's kind of unfortunate too, because Smith has taken losses to top guys lately and, and maybe he's catching a bad rap for the losing streak. But, like, this is an unranked guy. Well, at least he's unranked currently. And I think that they just found the worst possible guy lower on the rung that is is just probably going to put a nail in any coffin uh, to a to a path back to the title for Anthony Smith. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. It's tough for me to pick against Smith because um, I, I am a fan, and he's a very tough guy. We've certainly seen some problems when it comes to grappling. Uh, That's always a concern for me with him. Uh, But, you know, Devin Clark, does he have the skill to, let's say, knock out Anthony Smith? That I don't see. Can he take the decision? I lean towards that, I think. Even with him as the slight underdog, I don't think it's the worst uh, pick, even though he is an underdog. We'll move on. 
Uh, Takashi Saito is coming off a win over Jason Witt. He lost to Belial Muhammad before that, beat Ben Saunders uh, before that, so 2-1 and one in the UFC. He is a plus 150 and facing Miguel Baeza, uh, who is new on the block. Some people might not necessarily know him, uh, but he made his debut in Contender Series, beating Victor Reyna, then beat Hector Aldana, and then beat Matt fucking Brown with a left hook. So certainly making a name for himself uh, with a big win over Matt Brown, 3-0 and in the UFC. Who are you taking here? He is a minus-170 favorite, I should add. Uh, I'm going with Miguel Baeza. I'm a huge fan and really, truly believe in this kid's potential. Look, you, you don't knock out Matt Brown willy-nilly. Like, that's not something that just happens. If you got to have absolute dynamite in your hands. And Takashi Saito is also a guy who hits real hard. He knocked out Ben Saunders in his debut, like you mentioned, but, like, the difference between knocking out, like, late-career Ben Saunders and late-career Matt Brown is very fucking different. And in addition to that, too, I would also say that I feel better about Baeza's total game plan. Like, I feel better that he doesn't just need to knock you out to look good. He can grapple you up. He can throw volume strikes. He can press you against the cage. Whereas Saito, to me, is kind of like, he's the guy who's going to knock you out or he's going to lose the fight, probably. Which is what we saw against Bilal Muhammad. I like Baeza here to mimic enough of below Muhammad's game also and probably have a little bit more power than Muhammad here um, and, and take the victory. All right. Uh, we will move then to our underdog of the week, and it's Bill Algio, a plus 135 over Spark Carlisle. So I like Bill Algio over Spike Carlisle here uh, for a couple of different reasons. Number one, Algio is maybe one of the toughest guys in the UFC right now. If you watched him go freaking 15 minutes with Ricardo Lamas on two days notice, uh, you would have all the respect in the world for him. He boxed, he stood there in the pocket with Lamas and took some of Lamas' best shots. And that's really why I like him against Carlisle. Carlisle just loads up and tries to throw that big knockout blow. And if he could take those big knockout blows from Ricardo Lamas, I think he can take them from Spike Carlisle. And then... We're talking about a guy who's got a better gas tank as Carlisle faded in some of his earlier fights. He, he faded in his last fight. I, I like here Bill Algio to win the second and third round at minimum and maybe even get a late stoppage. All right, we'll move then to our parlay to play. It's Gina Mazzani, a minus-150 favorite. Pair together with Miguel Baeza, the aforementioned, at minus-155. It's going to get you plus-175 odds. Yeah, I, I love this parlay. And first of all, we should brag about our parlays because two weeks in a row we've now hit our plus money parlay here. We had uh, Alex Morano and Tony Gravely two weeks ago and Antonita Shevchenko and Joaquin Buckley last week. So both of those hit for about 150. So make sure that you're listening to our parlays. And we're going to get 175 this week by pairing Gina Mazzani over Rachel Ostovich with the aforementioned Miguel Baeza. I already told you why I like Baeza in that fight. Let me tell you why I like Mazzani. She's coming down to flyweight, which I think she should have done a long time ago. If you look at her losses at Bantamweight, they're mostly due to being out-muscled. And she's a great grappler in her own right. And if she's able to use her grappling, she looks really good. This is going to be an amazing opportunity for her to use her own wrestling because she's coming down in weight class. She's probably going to be the stronger woman. She's fighting Rachel Ostovich, who's been out for like 150 years and had noted grappling problems even when she was in the UFC. So Mazzani at negative 150 almost seems like the line is just wrong in this one. So I really expect her to dominate Rachel Ostovich in pretty much every facet of the game. 
And if you can get that with the Baeza uh, money there, you're going to get plus 175. And to me, that is absolutely, totally worth it. Boom. Well, that wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Gumby, why don't you wrap up the show as a whole? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without the mothership, Flow Combat, or our sponsors, Maroon Social, ProPay Sports Metrics, and Respect the Tap. We want to remind you guys to follow all of them on Twitter, but also follow us on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. You can check us out on Instagram as well, at Top Turtle MMA there, too. And I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He was Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you next week.